Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain market report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer, Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's market report. Welcome to the market report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing 20th of July 2020. Well, I really thought we'd be at it by now. Um, Full steam ahead, combines rolling. But it's one of those um, harvests where it's going to be dry tomorrow and it never is dry. So each day goes by, it keeps having a little shower that stops everybody uh, as I speak. I think today we will see a few people going this afternoon in Norfolk. Um, There is more rain forecast for Sunday or overnight Saturday. So, yeah, hopefully we will see a little bit more knocked down. But it's now the second half of July. We had St Swithin's on Wednesday. Um, It did rain in our part of the world. So the, the old timers will be saying it'll rain every day for 40 days. Certainly it's managed to spit at least every single day since, so hopefully uh, that is wrong. I'd like to certainly get the winter barley in in decent nick before we start worrying about um, cutting wet spring barley and wheat and rape. So we'll start with um, oilseed rape. Uh, The yields that we're hearing reported back, mainly from outside the county, are disappointing. Prices are 330 I think the biggest the biggest issue in that particular market is the the crushing plant at Erith and its closure. There's a lot of you know the, the grain trade's terrible for rumour and and the worst people of rumour are people with half the information. You know, so you have a load of farm reps who kind of live off stories that are third party at best. As I understand, it, ADM are getting pretty fed up with the. Uh, the report that the mill is not going to reopen or something to that effect. You know, if you don't know something, let's make it up and sound like we were important. The reality is we are told that it, it could well be up and running again by mid-August. So don't always believe what your farm trader tells you. I, I, I have no idea myself actually the truth of what is going to happen there or what has happened there. Um, all I do know is that um, until you get some facts, you can't make a judgment. So rape, 330 Prices picked up, yields are low as anticipated. Feed barley is going to be trading at 120x for the time being. There's there's good demand on feed barley uh, into Saudi Arabia, so there's there's plenty of boats going. It's an enormous discount to wheat, let's not forget that. So whether that makes a difference later in the season or not, I don't know. It depends how much... Uh, malting barley is downgraded and how much oversupply there's going to be what quality will a spring barley crop be how much of that will end up in the feed barley bin certainly it just hasn't got started and that's that's the point you need a proper full complement of combines rolling everywhere to get a real picture of light land heavy land medium land yields anecdotal stuff at the moment is uh, on the barley front yields are, are low or lower and the nitrogen spec of most of the winter barleys we've seen have been just about on the line or the wrong side of it. So they're a little bit high in nitrogen. I have seen a 1.33 nitrogen uh, Maris Otter sample, which cheered the farmer up. But generally, 1.6 is about 
the best people can hope for, which is just inside the line. So um, the problem with that, some of the contracts are on a 1.6 or 1.65 basis, and there isn't a lot of leeway to push. Um, you know, you can't suddenly go, well, you've got to take 1.7s or 1.8s. If that isn't the spec, then they will they will swap to spring as opposed to use winter barley. So let's uh, let's all remember who the customer is. Uh, moving on to wheat, old crop wheat. Well, it's it's now turning into a late harvest, not an early harvest. Now, again, anecdotally, the, the, the wheat seems to be dying in the field in a lot of cases, and I, and I don't think that bodes well for yield. So the market is beginning to try and creep up again. It keeps yo-yoing between 170 on the futures and 165. Um, it's currently trading at 169 on the November futures. Ex-farm value is about 164 for NOV. I don't see that coming down at the moment until till we really get a clear uh, opportunity to get some combining going. And I think the early samples will be, or the early cut stuff will be absorbed very readily by the consumption industry, which is, it is getting tight if the market is pushed too late. Lots of wheat was tucked away, uh, soft wheat, milling wheat, by consumers who need it for next year. So that's kind of come off the supply of, of what was needed to keep July going. And it is getting, as I say, a little bit difficult to get your hands on. We seem to have exhausted all of our farmer contacts. Um, the future stores still have tonnage in them and that's still moving. But if harvest s- slips into you know 7th, 8th of August, I think we're going to be really squealing a bit to try and find supply for those early August contracts. And saying that, if we do get a belt of proper sunshine, I, I believe we will still see some July combined wheat. So spot value feed wheat, it's probably between, it's probably 160 again, definitely. Um, yeah, that's kind of its value. So if you take if you take spot, old crop wheat to be worth 160. And if you take November wheat to be worth 164, you'll get four pounds if you carry it. That's maybe worth it to you, maybe not. Um, it it depends what spec you think this harvest is going to be. If it's going to be low kilo weight, which is also a, still a possibility, then you might be able to use the old crop to uh, avoid uh, kilo weight allowances, thus giving you more money per ton. So it, at the moment, it's borderline as to whether it's worth keeping it or not. So with that happy thought, I really would appreciate, um, despite the grey clouds that keep appearing, you farmer boys to get out there and do some uh, do some harvesting because you know some of us grain traders are really getting fed up on a daily basis waiting for you so come on pull your socks up thank you for listening please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours north walsham rugby minis are getting going again they will be having a get together on the 1st of august at the club from 10:30 till 12:30 A barbecue, the bar will be open and there will be fitness and rugby games in pods within each age group following the COVID guidelines. They want to encourage any new families or children to come along who are interested in joining the club from the ages of under the sixes through to under 12s. They will have a registration desk open to new members on the day, so do come along. This summer holidays, North Walsham are also running the rugby summer camps. They will be during August to the start of September. The link is in the show notes if you're interested. And now it's time for Farm Chat. This morning, I have got with me Murray Ferguson, who is our oldest farmer. Good morning, Murray. 
Good morning to you, Andrew. Do you mind being called the oldest farmer? <laughs> Not a bit. <laughs> you can't dodge the truth. <laughs> and the um, and you're ninety this year, aren't you? Yes. So we, we we originally planned to have you on our podcast for VE Day because you'd, you'd actually remember it and it would have been very relevant. But obviously we were all locked down. So I think the first question I'll ask you is what's your what's your your major reaction to, you know, the whole lockdown COVID-19 experience for people? What do you think of that? I should imagine all the experts, we've got quite a lot of medics still in the family. They're a bit cross because I'm a bit... I take it seriously up to a point. But when some of your first memories of being bombed by the Germans in Sheffield and having one or two quite close bombs next door, um, you have a different perspective. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> certainly, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm temporarily driving a German car at the moment and it outsmarts me all the time. So, uh, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan at this moment of <laughs> it keeps locking me out. But, uh, but you know, when you say quite close, you're the master of understatement. Did it actually land on your house or was it in the street nearby? It was, so. Oh, I suppose it was about 400, 350 yards away mm. on the way to my father's consulting rooms from where we lived in the outskirts. And obviously this Heinkel or whatever it was, he got a bomb or two left when he'd been trying to hit the factories in Sheffield. And he just dumped it on the outskirts. And it was tolerably close. Mm. <laughs> tolerably close. Well, I've no idea how, what the, what size bombs a four hundred yard distance would. I don't. You know, my generation has no idea. No, I suppose the nearest I came to being obliterated in the, in, the, in the Blitz, I went down into Sheffield after a bombing do, and I was walking down Division Street, and there was a roadblock in this century there standing so don't you don't you uh, sunny that there's an unexploded bomb in that house and it's we're you know wow. we're just watching it anyway at that age you know you're indestructible so i dodged around him and went <laughs> past walked past yeah and he said he said well it's up to you you blank 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 <laughs> <laughs> and anyway when i was in sheffield the um the, the, we, I heard a big bang, and uh, I wonder what that was. Anyway, I'd seen my dad, and I walked, walked back up home. And uh, when I walked by, the house was absolutely gone, <laughs> and an enormous crater. Wow. Had I been 20 minutes later... <laughs> yeah, you would have gone... <laughs> we wouldn't be having this conversation, we? Would we would not. <laughs> no, but you, you're right about being indestructible as a boy, aren't you? you just oh yes, no, no, no. It's, uh... So you were a Sheffield lad then? Uh, yes, yes, yes. My father was Scottish. My mother was North Country Cumberland. Mm-hmm. So I'm a Northerner really at heart. And like, you... when we go on holiday, I, we always head north. Never even dream of going south. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, were you ostracised when you moved south later in life then? or You know, north, south, you, I'm not going down there, lad. Mind come to that, you haven't got the accent either, have you? No, I haven't. No, after, when you hear yourself talking, if I ever hear myself talking on this, 
you are absolutely horrified and you're reluctant to speak for another two days <laughs> at all because you have no idea what you sound like. The, in, the hidden forced silence of Murray Ferguson by the Doing Grain podcast. I, you know, I, your, your wife will be delighted, I'm quite certain. <laughs> so during the war, you know, you would have been a teenager, I guess, wouldn't yes, you? And, yeah. and therefore not quite old enough to do anything about it. Yeah. Certainly old enough to understand the dynamics of, of, of lots of it. Uh, very much, yes. Can you, can you, well, let's, let's get to VE Day specifically. Mm. Can you remember what you did on that day and how everybody celebrated? Well, the school was shut down for um, the day only, and there were very jollifications in the sco- within the school, mm-hmm. which was a very small one. It was, I think, about 140 boys in those days. And uh, my class never exceeded 12 pupils in the whole of my 10, year, ten years there. Then when the rooster, the village, long before JCB came, they had a jollification to which we were invited, amazingly enough. And we went down and shared. Really, the, 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 everyone was greatly relieved, of course, and an astonishing amount of food appeared. Of course, it was in the country, so it was tolerably easy to ignore rationing for a point. <laughs> and we, we joined in the village, village fun and games, really. Brilliant. Great relief all round. Yeah, I mean, it must have been... Yeah. Well, you're not going to get bombed anymore. That's a fairly good start, isn't it? Yes. No, I, I suppose another near squeak we had was I'd just come off Firewatch on main school buildings. We did four hours on and four hours off on a flat area between two peaks. So, and, you, and you, your responsibility is if something comes along and the incendiary you know, yeah. device comes in, then you have to raise the alarm. That's that's that, the, that's, that's what the idea was. Okay. Yes. But, um, Anyway, I'd just gone down. I, 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 it was 10 o'clock till 2 o'clock shift I was doing. And uh, anyway, I went down and old uh, Claude Potts, the came, he came up and took my place. And uh, it was some hour or so later, I never heard it, but an, an old Whitley crashed couple of fields away. A, a Whitley was, was an obsolete bomber in those days. It was a state-of-the-art machine, mm-hmm. popularly known as the flying pencil because it was long and thin right. and flew at a bit rather a curious angle. That um, They were quite common. Ashbourne Airfield was about nine, mile, nine miles away up, okay. up the River Dove and there was a big training aerodrome there and they flew all sorts of interesting and totally obsolete aircraft. <laughs> anyway, this thing came over the farm and, and old Potts, when it told me, I heard this sort of strange whistling noise and a great shadow came over and uh, didn't know what it was. They crashed a couple of smallish fields away and blew up a bit. And uh, that was a narrow squeak because, was, of course, in the darkish, it was... June, I think. It was never completely dark, but he just saw this dark thing flying over because the crew, typical, that the crew had run out of of juice and they jumped out (laughs) and left the thing sort of gliding. And uh, it glids straight over the school, (laughs) which, had it hit us, would have been slightly unfortunate. (laughs) (laughs) Again, the master of the understatement. But, uh, yeah, Yeah. but... uh, 
But it's funny enough, you, when you're brought up with that sort of thing, you can hardly remember pre-war, you get sort of inured to it. You know something funny might happen, and uh, it frequently did. Mm. The other thing, when the Tutri ammunition dump blew up, it was just at break time, and that was about five miles down the road, and uh, it was an enormous bang. And so I this was, is somebody put a, dropped a bomb into it, did they? No, they never knew why it went off. It oh, just right. just blew up. Some something happened. Somebody dropped a hand grenade or something, and <laughs> next door to five hundred. <laughs> Blimey! But uh, they never discovered what it was. But that uh, I was running down the yard to get at the break at 11 o'clock he was going to get a, a mug of milk and a, whatever a, perhaps a bit of scrunch which was dried bread and um, I mean it, it really knocked one person over because the ground sort of shook and uh, I certainly went off course and nearly ran into the biology lab by mistake really? <laughs> wow and then very shortly after there was this enormous explosion and uh so the, so the noise came, obviously the noise comes after the, noise the, after the, the vibration. The shape, okay. I couldn't tell you how long, but it was, there was a certain shortish time gap. I lost time to recover my balance and what the hell. And there was no, no flash of light before the shake. No, nothing at all. You see, because that would have been first, wouldn't it? Yes, it was in daylight. But yeah, we went wow. up to have a look at the crater afterwards. And it, of course, you did. It, 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 so it was, was every child it, in the. It was in, pretty impressive. Yeah, but they never found out what. what was it all hushed up as well? No doubt, wasn't it? Oh yes, it was never reported. No, and uh, no doubt somebody lit a cigarette. Probably <laughs> chuck, well, chuck, chuck the match down. Well, in those days, cigarettes made you healthy. Well, it's rather like that. And when uh, that chap in Dad's army dropped a cigarette end in a box of thunder flashes. <laughs> Which one is that stupid boy? No, is that Walker? Well, or, yes, or yes, Pike, yes, yes. no, that would be Walker, wouldn't it? But one thing, if you like, in life, I have learnt that um, if something can happen sooner or later, it bloody well will. However unlikely, you can never ever say never. No, okay, that's the well. There's some wise words amongst that, and I'm sure there's several <laughs> twists and turns in that one. <laughs> there are indeed. Um, so, so how did a Sheffield lad? end up farming in Norfolk. What happened in between? What did you do after school? Yes, I'd rather... We have to be careful about this, because you signed the book for 50 years and you're not going to talk about much about it. After 50 years, you don't particularly want to talk much about it because it's so far in the past. But uh, a cousin of mine, a nice chap, old uh, Tommy Robertson, who was in intelligence all through the war, and unbeknownst to me, he'd been sculling around for, for you people. And uh, they'd approached the school and found that I was a suitably independent and fairly bloody-minded character. Good good for scullying around. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, I was invited, in inverted commas, to join his outfit. That's how they recruited in those days. It's people they fished around for or knew or knew of. And and kind of independent streak, not not conforming. They were pretty they were pretty pretty picky, I must say. without boasting, you know, because it's what they were looking for is perhaps <laughs> nothing to boast about. But anyway, it fitted the kilt bill and uh, of course when I left left school in uh, 
after higher search, and I was going to go to Cambridge to read natural sciences because I really wanted to be a marine biologist. Right. And uh, anyway, you couldn't really say no if you'd been invited in those days. It would not have done. No. So I was duly registered as a farm worker for national service. And my hideaway when I wasn't operational was a cracking good farm in Shrewsbury. And uh, when I was not operational, I gave that. So, so, and your and your farm. That's, that's you know your, the duties as a farm worker whilst, you know, whilst you're there. Uh, hopefully, they they fitted everything around harvest and sowing time. They, they considered the farmer far no. more important than the. No, uh, I never. I never <laughs> knew if old A.G. Alfred Clark he was. He must have known what I was up to. He never, never said a word. I never said a word. But he obviously knew there was something up. And when I was out, out, he would make excuses why I wasn't in Shrewsbury Market. When I was there, I was high profile. I drove the lorry in some Shrewsbury Market. Or in those days, we had Nuffield tractors mm-hmm. with them, their, their idea of... Um, Road truck tractors, the old Nuffields, they had a, mm-hmm. oh, I don't know how far it's like, at least nine inches sticking out of the back wheel on either side. And it was not much fun dri- driving through crowded Shrewsbury streets with the cattle truck behind you, knowing that these damn things were about six inches Wide, <laughs> away. Wide, yeah. Blimey. <laughs> so that, so I, I did a lot of that. And I suppose he triggered me into thinking, well, farming would be quite a good idea, if necessary. So this was in the back, in the back of your head, because it wasn't your, your primary kind of thing. Oh, no, no, thing. no. So, but, it, no. It, but it was, so there's the seeds yes. sown. Yes, I'd, I'd messed about on the farm in Derbyshire. So I suppose there had always been a latent, un, 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 unknown, mm-hmm. you know, leaning to that way. Mm. And it fitted with my natural history interests anyway. So did you did you spend much time? You know, if you if you disappeared from the farm, did you? Was it a week? Was it a month? Was it six months? What? So, oh, did it depend on the on the on whatever it, it you were doing? What it, what 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 I had to do? I was really a link between the people the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, who obviously couldn't come to the UK, and I was the link between them and Tommy. Okay. And the office in London, because you couldn't use radio, obviously, because you couldn't use a telephone, and uh, for security reasons, because a lot of the information I brought back had been very unfortunate if uh, the other side had got it. And this is the other side in those days was the bloody Russians. The bloody Russians, indeed. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, the Germans are getting you as bad. Yeah. <laughs> do you think they do you think they build the BMW cars? Is it their fault that I can't work it out? Do you think I have a name for BMW cars which I will not repeat? <laughs> I'm going to ask you offline, and I won't repeat it. But I, <laughs> I yeah, I mean, it's very difficult for someone who uh, you know. We, when when I was a kid, we'd go around pretending to machine gun Germans because we it was you know I was born 17 years after the war finished. Mm. 
and our understanding was based upon you know all of the the films that glorified yeah, yeah. when they still had the British as the heroes and stopped yeah. rewriting history and pretending the Americans did everything. Yeah. Um, but you know, so we had a bias against them. We didn't like them much, but it must be you know very difficult when you have, I suppose, been at war with a with a country and you are aware of the shenanigans that go on at a reasonably high level, yes. not to have a deep meaningful distrust that lasts a lifetime is that a fair comment yes it is yeah yeah I mean, they, they, they say you should forgive but uh i find it very hard yeah i, I and having I, met somebody who'd been in belson on the second day of going there yeah yeah i i it's, there's no, nothing nothing else we've seen pictures but there's a picture is a one-dimensional aspect yeah, yeah, but to actually yeah. Yeah, I I I had a, a a farmer when I was a young. Uh, obviously, lots of the guys who were in the war have died, and 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 there were several people who came back to farm. And there was a there was a guy called um, Albert Hipperson, his name was, and he he farmed out at North Tottenham, mm-hmm. right on the main road, the A forty seven, where the dual carriageway just about ends oh, now, yes, coming towards yeah. Norwich, and um, he survived being a Japanese prisoner of war yeah. and and he was he was philosophical he was mm. a funny he was a very amusing bloke yeah. always found yeah. Yeah. crazy humor out of stuff um he was incredibly unfortunate and since he survived all of that came back looking like a stick mm. and 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 his observation of um he he simply you know i think naively when you're younger you ask questions much more Yes, yes, less sensitively. You just, yeah. you know, what's it all about? And that's how you learn to become sensitive. You begin to learn the history properly, and then you yeah. start reading and learning. But he, he actually got. To, he was on the side of the A forty seven, like several years after the war in the in the sixties or whatever, and he got hit by a car that skidded off the road, and he ended up wearing a neck brace for the rest of his life. So not only did he had that terrible misfortune, he then had the the next misfortune. Still, you know, he he was just. He, other than having an incredibly ferocious dog, mm-hmm. he was um, still incredibly upbeat. But when I asked him the insensitive question, he just said, "Cruel race." Mm. That's all he said. Yeah. And, and then, then, and that would be it. And you, you kind of, you can't grasp it when you're young. You can't grasp it when you've got no experience yeah. of being at war with people. Yeah, no, quite. Yes. Yeah, it was pretty horrendous out there. So you know, in in a. You know, in your experience, obviously, you, you, we, we're not going to go into detail. It's, we, we've given enough uh, information about the role you were fulfill, fulfilling. You know, in those days, you could the borders weren't quite so strictly adhered to, whether you could go one side to the other here and there, climb, climb under a hedge or something. Is that? Is that? Uh, yes, I was more or less forbidden by the bosses not to go across the border. I had to, I forget how many times, but I, it's, you could get across. You had to be careful. And uh, I got a pretty good bollocking when I said what I'd done every time. But they understood. Yeah, results count, don't the they? Results, you had, you had to do it, you know, because um, for one reason or another, the, the character you were going to meet couldn't mm. make it. And uh, I knew where he would be. But you had to be very canny because, I mean, they may have nobbled him and they may have been waiting for me to go across. But yeah. uh, um, 
When we were in Egypt some years ago, I tended to walk off from the hotel and just poking around and looking at things. And it was pretty militarised. And I very quickly became aware that I was followed each time. And this is something that you learnt, obviously you learnt this, you, you? It, you know when you're being followed. Unfortunately, you never forget it, and you've, you think you've forgotten a lot of things, but lurking in the, in the mysterious interior of your brain, it's all still there, mm-hmm. and something will trigger it back. And, uh, so you're being followed in, in, in... I was being followed. If, if, if they, were, they were very bad at it, actually. <laughs> Quite obviously I was being followed. But uh, anyway, I turned around and said, what the hell are you following me for? Oh, it's for your own safety, sir, or Saab, whatever they call me. <laughs> because, you know, you, you're walking about in you know, the backish streets. And... Uh, uh, that's, they were very surprised that I tweaked it and said, "How did you know?" Oh, well, I was in the I was in the same racket, only we were a bit, <laughs> a bit better than you. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, you know, are we gonna are we gonna is, you know get a, get the, the secret files of Murray Ferguson and and suddenly have a new a new James Bond character? No, emphatically <laughs> not. No, no, no. But then after five years of it, the choice came. You by that. You actually knew, unknowingly, you'd picked up a hell of a lot was going on in the whole outfit. Mm-hmm. And uh, my boss, John, said, uh, look, Fergie, um, you've done enough of this. Um, you'd better pack up. Um, you can come into the office, and, you know, work in the office for, until, for the rest of your time. Or you can go off and do something. Hook off. And uh, go and think about it, and uh, come back and tell us, as long as you like, three months, six months, it doesn't matter. And uh, had you had a really close shave, then had something kind of got you to become in danger? Do you think? No, I think possibly he was quite right because I'd done so much of it. I was pushing my luck too much. Mm. Okay. Luckily, it held, and that was it. And the, if, the last thing they wanted was somebody like me, who had been for operational four and a half, five years, whatever it was, being nobbled by the enemy. Mm. And uh, I would know too much. Yeah. So, uh, and actually, as I went out, John said, "If you, uh, if you're thinking of farming, because well, I know you've been with uh, Clark, um, I recommend you." Go somewhere pretty remote and just lie low for a couple of years. Um, we'll be watching you, and uh, I, I reckon a good place might be East Norfolk. Nobody <laughs> ever goes there because it's not on the way to anywhere. <laughs> you have to go there to <laughs> go there. In yeah. those days, when I finally got here, how bright he was! Yeah. Did you come straight here? No, no. I went went to uh, um, uh, Alfred Clark in Shrewsbury and spoke to him. It was quite obvious after five years of what I'd been doing, I could not have survived another three years as a university. So that was overboard. So how old were you at this point? 23, 24. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Still very young. Oh, very young indeed. And John, the boss, said, you know, 
after what you've been up to, we can get you a job anywhere you like, um, no questions. But uh, joining joining the crowd in the office for, for the next um, 50 odd years or whatever was, was not an option for me. Anyway, I was talking to old AG, you know, the farmer in Shropshire about it, and uh, he obviously knew what had been going on. And he said, well, look, I've taught you a lot about farming because he had worked his way down from an awful farm in mid-Wales, all sort of rushes and puddles and bog, <laughs> with several, with quite a lot of sheep. Anyway, he, he worked, that's where he started, up in the mid-Welsh mid -Welsh mountains. And he had ended up with these two super farms just the other side of Shrewsbury. And... Uh, I'd enjoyed myself when I was there because I was just treated not to go and build the cows and drive the tractor and take the lorry if necessary. He would never take no for an answer. If I said, look, Alfred, I can't, I can't do that. I've never done it before. He sent me off to Liverpool once to go to the Bibbies to work with the old guy, a 12-ton lorry. Mm -hmm. I haven't ever driven that thing five or six miles between the two farms. And it's a heavy old lump. He said, off you go, you'll never be younger to learn. And that was it, off you went. <laughs> and you went steadily up in this old lorry. Got 12 tons of cattle feed or whatever, and pig feed, we had two on the farm. And um, drove it back. And uh, no test for driving heavy vehicles or anything like that. Because the old bus, when it was flat out, empty, because we were about 35, <laughs> and coming back, um, well, you didn't want to go much more than 30 because <laughs> it took quite a long time to think about stopping. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Luckily, there was, in those days, there was, by modern standards, there was, the roads were empty. By modern standards, absolutely. A bit like lockdown, yes. when, when everyone else experienced no cars on the road yes. briefly. Absolute bliss. It was. It was bliss. <laughs> it was. Um, yeah. So uh, anyway, he said, well, why not give farming a go? And uh, I said, well, I don't know anything about it much. And uh, he said, well, I've taught you a good deal. And... Uh, we grew shoe beets on the farm for the old Oscott factory and a few spuds. But it was mostly grass and silage making, which was quite different to our days. But, um, and he said, don't think about going to a college because things are changing, beginning to change very fast. And I think they're going to change much faster. Than the colleges do. To go to a college, they'll teach you a lot. Okay but you'll find that in two or three years' time, what they taught you is obsolete. Well, as there's, there's some... how right he was. Well, you know, occasionally <laughs> that occurs, doesn't it? People yes, are, are, yeah. are a little bit behind. I'm sure nowadays the modern colleges are, are totally up to speed. I think they're much sharper nowadays, mm. yes. But uh, that was good. They saved, saved that problem. Then, fortunately enough, my elder brother and Ronnie Gibbs, Beach Farm, his father had just died. So he, Ronnie Gibbs, his father, had died... I got a message through Arthur, would I come and look after Beach Farm at Hempstead for six months until he sold the farm? And uh, so that, that was, you know... So what year would that have been? 
That was 54, just right. after the big storm at Sea Pauline. And uh, part of Beach Farm was actually flooded by that. Mm. So I said, yes, I'll do that. And I came to Norfolk, which fitted all the things. And uh, I ran that farm for, instead of six months, it was 58 years. Do you know what, Murray? I, I, I could talk to you for the rest of the day. Uh, this, is, this is just fantastic. So yeah. I think we've, we've probably done two episodes worth of, of, of conversation. Murray, thank you very much for your time today. And, and the, the VE Celebration podcast is, is belated. That's what we came to see you for in the first place. Thank you so much for being on. Yes, not at all. It's been a pleasure. And as Andrew alluded to there, we will have episode two featuring Murray Ferguson next week to hear how he set up his farm at Eccles. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewandgrain. The Dewandgrain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 